I just want to say that I'm so glad that we have Joe Biden as our president to make sure to calm the nerves of the whole world, really, uh, because he really projects this confidence, this sense of stability, this sense of no drama, uh, the, 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 the sense that, that he's really informed. That, that's, I think that's what really gets people to love Joe Biden. And, and I feel safe, for one. Okay, obviously, I, I don't know where I came out. Came out. I think Devin came up with that one. So, look, we, we've got a bad, bad situation going on with this uh, Hamas business because, look, it, it, it's not going to be isolated for very much longer, it looks like. There's much more activity in the north of Israel. So just to give you an idea, Israel is a... Yeah, imagine New Jersey, okay? That's about the same size as New Jersey. So in your mind's eye, when I say north of Israel, I'm talking about the north of New Jersey, okay? And the south, obviously, south of New Jersey. So you're going to, into Delaware, for example, uh, in the south. And, and where is it? Uh, you know, Connecticut and New York State when it comes to the, to the north, right? That's what's going on. That's how small it is, and it's a very narrow country. Um, so we're dealing with Hamas, which every day, I, I, you know, there, there's before there's uh, a ground invasion, and, and I think there will be. I think, by the way, I think it's going to be by Friday or Saturday, um, and likely Friday because I, I don't know. Maybe they'll observe Shabbat, but I, I, I doubt it. Um, and then uh, in the north, in uh, near the Lebanese border. Hezbollah is, is attacking very aggressively. People don't realize that. So uh, I have relatives now who are fighting in both the north and the south. So it's very interesting. I think it's going to be okay. Israel is going to come out on top of this. I've said this before that in all the big wars, all the major wars, all the major conflicts that Israel has uh, engaged in, uh, always defensively, always, um, Israel has always come out on top. And not only has it won, but it, it, it has always improved its position. That is true with the independence war, uh, where Israel was able to uh, amass contiguous land that was otherwise, it was very uh, sparse. Um, it was very kind of like what, what we call Swiss cheese. And then it kind of flushed out and, and, and opened up the, the chin. And these are, these are problems of the Arabs making. They start a war, and then they end up losing land. That's, it's always this way. Same thing in the Suez conflict. They, they lost position, political position, and we had greater access to the canal. Uh, third, the Six-Day War that goes with it. That's the most extreme example where Israel uh, increased its size by, by three times, right? Uh, not a good war for the Arabs. Uh, we won fantastic strategic positions in the Golan Heights, which is borders on Syria, that's toward the north, but more on the east side. Uh, and then, of course, Gaza, we gain control over that uh, in order to neutralize uh, the terrorists coming, coming from Egypt. And then, uh, finally, uh, the West Bank, of course, we all know that, which we call Judea and Samaria. Uh, the world calls us the West Bank because it's the west of Jordan, whatever. Uh, and then the entire Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. <laughs> so it was so humiliating to the uh, to the Arab enemies of Israel, and it was they lost it all in six days. It's amazing. Anyway, same thing with the six, uh, the uh, the Yom Kippur War, which the Arab calls the October War. Uh, but the Yom Kippur War, uh, we gained land as well, and certainly uh, improved our position militarily. And on and on it goes. 
Uh, now this new one, this is, this is the, you know, there's been many conflicts in between, but this new one uh, is very severe and Israel will come out on top with a uh, completely wiping out Hamas, sending a very strong message. I have a feeling that it will also improve the military in an extreme way. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. So we'll see. Uh, they, they will rue the day that they started this war, uh, and that's what's going to happen. So we, you'll see. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the fascinating aspect of Saudi Arabia in this whole equation. So Saudi Arabia has decided to kind of pull back on peace talks with Israel, which I think is exactly what Iran wanted to accomplish. Um, so now it's causing uh, Saudi Arabia to, to pause. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to join with Israel. Um, they, they simply want to not make it look as if they're working with Israel for the time being. I, I think it's, uh, what's a, it's, it's an inevitability at the end of the day. It's, it's trying to bail out water uh, from a sinking ship, so to speak. The, the idea that somehow that they should stay in a warlike state forever, uh, it, it's just not profitable for, for Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is going the right direction. In many ways, it's not perfect, but that's the way it is. Other things that are interesting is the Jordanian king is refusing to take in any Palestinian refugees. Uh, he's made that very clear. Uh, and he also didn't want Biden to come visit him. He just decided against it uh, because of the either the hospital attack or whatever it might be. But he decided that uh, Biden is not to come because I guess it, it wasn't a good look. Uh, likewise, with Egypt, Egypt is not allowing refugees on the southern border. So Jor Jordan is not allowing refugees to flow into Jordan from the eastern border. Egypt doesn't want it from the southern border. You know, it, it's, if you're a Palestinian, it's hard not to take it personally after a while, I think. Anyway, it, this, this is a, a real big problem for them. And in addition, Hamas is not letting them leave anyway. It's a, it doesn't matter. They, they can't move out of the Gaza Strip. Why? Because they want to use the, the Gazan population, the, the Palestinians within Gaza, as human shields, which only that's all you need to know to show what monsters they are. But they, they can't even protect their own people. It's pretty savage when you think about it. Um, so more things are, are coming in um, where... Okay, there was this attack on a hospital in Gaza. Uh, a missile fell on Gaza and it destroyed this hospital. And Hamas was very quick to blame Israel for it. But it turns out, don't you know, that it was the Hamas rocket that they sent over trying to hurt southern Israel from, from the south um, that... Um, that suddenly it, it, it was an effective bomb and it went down and hit this hospital. Um, and then they blamed Israel. Okay. It's very clear that that was the case. Hamas, of course, quickly blamed Israel and said that they targeted this and how cruel they are and everything else like that. Okay. Israel has never in its history targeted anything that is not a military target or at least not a terrorist target uh, or a building that's posing as as one. You could put a big uh, red cross on top of a building and claim it to be a hospital, but if it's not, you know, it's just it's simply it's not. So you get the idea. Um, so this, you know, it, it's it was very quickly revealed to be what it is. Uh, but <laughs> I want you to hear 
how your friend, I don't know why you're hanging out with him, Devin, why, how your friend Devin, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Biden, not Devin. Oh man. oh, man, I can't believe this. Yeah. Surely we'll cut that out of the uh, during the <laughs> editing process. Anyway, I want you to hear how Biden uh, responds to all this. It's, um, it's it's quite interesting. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not not you. Okay. So first of all, let me say that this video of, in case you're only listening to the show, this video. Uh, shows Biden in such a lazy is not the right word I'm looking for, like slumped over, uh, totally disinterested, just kind of mouthing words, doesn't seem passionate whatsoever. In any event, you just heard what he said. So he said, it's done by the other team. Like, okay, first of all, this is not a cricket match. Okay, this is, that, that's one thing. Secondly, I don't think he remembered the name of this so-called other team. So, you know, he could have said the bad guys, right? You know, why not just say some, the terrorists? He could have said that, but instead he said the other team. It's, it was very weird. Let's continue on with some of his brilliant thoughts. But there's a lot of people out there not sure. So we got a lot, we got to overcome a lot of things. What, okay, they're not sure. What, what, what do you mean you're not sure? Of course you're sure. You know exactly what happened. Uh, as as if Israel would be capable of this. And we've got to overcome a lot of things implying to find out the culprit or to teach people the culprit of the hospital. There were other bigger pressing, there's a bigger picture going on here that maybe is the more pressing issue than the hospital. And I, the passion and the horrors that happened that Hamas undoubtedly and very openly did to Israel is so much worse than anything that they did to their own hospital. Yes, indeed. Uh, look, I mean, God, God forbid they should need medical attention in Gaza at any time, even before this, uh, this, this conflict. But look, uh, the, the other thing that this is leading to this hospital business is that it is leading to these massive protests in, uh, at American embassies, and Israeli embassies, for that matter, uh, all over the world, because the word has gone out that Israel has, you know, bombed a hospital, and how cruel can they be? And they believe this, right? So it's mob mentality going all over. It's not as if you can get somebody on a bullhorn. Wait, wait, wait! I, I, I see we've been misinformed. Thanks for coming. Appreciate your passion, but everyone go home. <laughs> it's, that would never happen in a mob situation, right? So that is exactly what has happened. Um, and we're, we're going to have some, a conflagration issue. Now, you might very well say that this hospital situation, um, the bombing, could not have been better planned by Hamas. This, this may have been, they might as well have planned it. Let's put it that way. They, they, I, but they're not smart enough to have planned it, but there it is. And they just use it to their own benefit. So they'll, they'll blow up their own hospital so that they could blame it on Israel and in turn, you know, create this kerfuffle. And people will believe it. It's amazing. The more absurd the scenario, the more people will believe it. For example, they, they had a, uh, um, I don't know how many babies murdered. And you see this terrible picture, this terrible videos. It turns And they blame it on Israel, saying that the, it turns out the, these were babies from the Syria conflict a long time ago, a few years ago. 
but the quality of the, the videos are, is kind of similar. So it, it suggests, oh, maybe, you know, you said it's from Israel. So here it is. They're killing these babies. Um, now, the question is why? Why is it that people are so willing to believe this garbage? They don't for a second say, wait a minute, are you sure about this before we re report on this, before we demonstrate this, uh, demonstrate regarding this? Can you, can you please, you know, give me some backup? They don't say that. Why are they so readily ready to jump on this kind of misinformation? Why? Right? I mean, I don't think anything else they're willing to jump as quickly as they will on an accusation that Israel has done X, Y, or Z. I think the reason is that they're looking for anything, anything. They'll grab onto anything that will bring Israel down. If not completely, then a couple of pegs. Okay, that's what they want. And why do they hate Israel so much? Because Israel is the standard bearer of accountability. It is the origin, the, the, the origin story of the Ten Commandments, the birthplace of both Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, it is in, in essence destroying God altogether. That's that's Devin's point, right? Yeah. Uh, which I thought I think is a brilliant point. It's it's a way of destroying God. They they cannot stand the accountability. And I think that um, while Hamas uses the bombing of their own hospital, and it just tracks with how they do things to their advantage, that the advantage that if we choose to take it, because this is showing no more, no less than a separation between people who want to be on the side of good and people who be on the side of bad. And the people who protest embassies, protest against Israel, all the anti-Semites, all the atheists and hateful people in all of the press, BBC especially, The Guardian, The Telegraph, The um, New York Times, CNN, all of the people who hate Israel, let's just note their names and who they are. Speaking of noting the names, okay, but the, the, look, there's good news about all this, Devin, because we know one thing, that the universities, they are in search of truth all the time. They, they will not take this crap lying down. They are professors, uh, they're PhDs, doctorates, uh, masters. They, they read books a lot, they teach a lot, and... By golly, they, they whew, thank God for the university. Yeah. Otherwise, we, we might have some madness going on and people would, be, would act irrationally and otherwise be on the streets all the time. There'd be demonstrations of all sorts and, and, and uh, petitions and such against Israel. But the universities are there as the final backstop. Yeah. Yes. And, and no less than the president of Harvard University herself articulates this point beautifully. I, I think... And really, I, I have to give her great credit. Anyway, here she is. Our university rejects terrorism. That includes the barbaric atrocities perpetrated by Hamas. But, but, <laughs> there's but, no way there's, the, a but, there's right? no, no, that's like, okay, so that's it. Thank you for the statement. Okay, bye. But, but, all right, here we go. Our university rejects hate, hate of Jews, hate of Muslims. Ah, yes. Now it's important to make sure there's the equivalence, there's the reciprocity, there's, there's the, the, the making sure that you cover your butt, right? It's such garbage. Anyway, continue on. Hate of any group of people based on their faith, their national origin, or any aspect of their identity. 
Just just to cover everything, right? right? You know, whether or not you you are you're allergic to mosquito bites, whatever. Like <laughs> if you like vanilla or don't like vanilla, I, you know that that's good. If you, if, <laughs> I don't know, you can go on with this. Right? Whether you're into midgets, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's we we are against anybody hating that. Okay, so let's continue. Our university rejects the harassment or intimidation of individuals based on their beliefs. That, that is so true. Yeah. You know what? I, I really do stand corrected here. She, Harvard and, and many other universities are very good about allowing people to express their beliefs, uh, conservative beliefs, for example, all the time. Uh, if you want to express the wisdom of American, the American founding fathers and, uh, and, and that maybe you, you're so crazy as to not necessarily believe in climate change as a big deal. Uh, or maybe you believe that, that transgenderism is nonsense, right? Harvard will definitely let you speak. In fact, they'll wel- they'll, they will welcome you onto their glorious campus because that's how open they are. I just she wants you to know that. Right. And they're they're such smart people. Let's say you have some, you know, random non polemic issue like pro life. They'll they want you to come on the um the campus. One hundred percent. Come on so we can both learn from each other. They always say, Oh, they actually have had Trump on speaking more than any other university, I'm sure. Possibly. It's the only <laughs> way we can get to the truth. Yep. And I think she's expressing this right now. <laughs> And our university embraces a commitment to free expression. That commitment extends even to views that many of us find objectionable, even outrageous. Wait, wait. So are you saying, my dear Madam President, that you are willing to accept free speech that you find outrageous because it's a terrorist? expression, right? So, so now it's okay when students want to support Hamas, putting all the sarcasm aside. Now, now it's okay. Now she's all for free speech, that kind of free speech, because she likes that free speech. Yes, you might find that offensive, you, you ignorant idiot, you Christian fool, you simpleton, but we'll, we'll, st- we'll allow it because that's how glorious we are. That's how glorious we are. And, and of course, that kind of offensive speech is totally allowable. But the, 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 the kind of speech that she finds offensive, that's hate speech from the get-go. And it should not be allowed on campus because it's just the very, your very existence, uh, as I've been told, my very existence, Riley Gaines, Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, all those bad boys, they've been told just your presence on campus, you know, reveals hate, right? But, but suddenly this is okay. So, so in other words, they're willing to allow Hamas supporters, but not Dennis Prager or Ben Shapiro or me for that matter, Charlie Kirk, another one, that those guys are not acceptable because that is beyond the pale. We are worse than Hamas. What, it's such, it's such hypocrisy. We do not punish or sanction people for expressing such views. Except if you believe in, you know, life, for example, then 
then expulsion is, is of course, appropriate. I think that's only reasonable and sensible. Right. And just something that, what, 40 to 50% of the country believes, all of those things are banned, but those are horrible, way worse than Hamas or January 6th. Thank you for understanding. Thank you. <laughs> but that is a far cry for endorsing them. Okay. Well, well, let's make very clear that she's not endorsing them. But wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, we kind of are. Okay. So th- suddenly they discover free speech. Suddenly. Right? Because it's a, it's, it's, in reality, it's speech that they do like. Yeah. They do like the pro-Hamas speech. Suddenly they get to wrap themselves around with the American flag and say free speech is so wonderful. Except for the free speech that they, they, they don't like. What, what's wrong with that standard? Right? So uh, we need to hear this other brilliant comment. Uh, from, I believe, yeah, from our, our your, your girlfriend, yeah. although I thought she was my girlfriend for a while, but it's, it's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, where, um, okay, uh, Alexandra, I, I'm talking about none other than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the, the wonderful, effervescent and brilliant um, AOC. This is uh, from a CNN uh, interview or a CNN Newsnight interviewing her, okay? Here she is. As all of this kind of kicked off, you and several other of your colleagues uh, released a statement calling on for a ceasefire uh, in the region. But I wonder, what is Israel supposed to do about Hamas after they murdered, brutalized, abducted over a thousand of their citizens? Are they supposed to just do nothing? Okay, so this is a very fair question. And I must say the CNN interviewer really means it. She's not saying it rhetorically to her. She is looking at AOC, like, what are you really expecting? This is a little bit absurd. She's already uh, lobbying the question in a a fairly ridiculous way against AOC because she knows what her position will be. But let's hear her answer. Well, you know, I think what's important to note about a ceasefire is that it's not one-sided. Hamas has been sending thousands of rockets into Israel as well. And what is important is for us to identify our goal in terms of what safety means, in terms of what defense means. Okay, I just want to stop there because she says Hamas has been sending thousands of rockets, rockets into su- southern Israel as well, as if somehow the, the issue is Israel sending missiles on its own. But now she's just informing you, by the way, it's, it's also Hamas doing these things, as if she's the one, you know, giving us the balancing act that we have to consider, right? And, and that, that's just so disingenuous. But here we go. Let's continue on. But and if I, think I may, it, Congresswoman, I think the position from Israel's perspective is that there was already an attack mm-hmm. and Hamas already committed an attack. Mm-hmm. After that happened, do you really believe that they should not respond to that? I think what is important in terms of response is Israel does have a right to, to self-defense. I think what we need to take a look at in this situation is if collective punishment qualifies as defense. If the blockade on water, food, electricity, if the dropping of white phosphorus, uh, which is an indiscriminate weapon, qualifies. So I do believe that there's a discussion to be had here. I don't believe that an either or approach is what is uh, necessary, but we should identify what our goal is, which is the cooling of tensions in the region. Okay, so just to pause on this, I will continue on with this. Uh, This is a a bizarre response because, first of all, she's telling Israel, here's how you need to defend yourself. 
Well, actually, she's not really saying that. She's simply saying what you can't do. Um, and the idea of, you know, what qualifies as self-defense. So what is, what is her answer? What, what would be the, the right answer for Israel to do? Uh, we can only go in uh, and kill the specific Hamas terrorists that we think were there uh, and, and interview everyone, I guess, you know, one by one and say, ah, you, you appear to be the guy. Come with us. We need to arrest you. Is that the idea? I mean, like, that would be cool uh, somehow if we could do that, but that's not going to happen. It's just, you know, killing mosquitoes in the swamp, as it were. So there's no realism in her uh, answer here. And the interviewer correctly says, you know, what do you expect? Right. And, um, okay, so we shouldn't be attacking innocent people who are at a rave dancing about peace for collective punishment. Is that her point? And our goal is to cool tensions. That's not my goal. I pray to God that's not Israel's goal. Israel's goal is survival and destroying any enemy that even thinks about doing what they did. I like the way you put it. It's uh, they weren't thinking the the victims of the attack by Hamas on Israel. That that was a collective punishment. That you 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 punished them. You killed them. You raped them. You beheaded them. Because they were Jews, not, not because they were in any way soldiers even, not that soldiers deserve that either, but that that wasn't collective punishment. All you cared about was killing Jews. If it were Muslims, you know, and you knew that they were Muslims, I presumably you would leave them alone. They just were out there to kill as many Jews as possible. That's not collective punishment. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, and, and how would you have us respond? That, that's ultimately the question, but let's continue on. Israel's goal is to rid the region of Hamas. They've been very clear about that. And I certainly take what you're saying about the condition of Gaza right now for civilians who, as you point out, are not synonymous with Hamas. But for Israel to deal with Hamas, which uh, is a force that is actually detrimental to Palestinians. Absolutely. How else are they supposed to address a <laughs> violent militant, mm -hmm. some say terrorist group? Mm -hmm. Okay, so she's listening to the question and you could tell it's the first time she even considered this question because you'll see her response and, and she's got this blank look on her face if you if you're to see it, the video, uh, a totally blank look. And by the way, I want to say, well, let's continue on and then I want to have a comment about this. Mm -hmm. Other than to go in there. Right. And take them on directly. Well, you know, when we talk about going in there, I think we should also keep in mind President Biden's statements uh, as well about what a potential, what the implications of a potential ground invasion would be. This is an inherently complex situation. I do believe that Hamas needs to be dealt with. How, but how, I think, is what I'm And I think understand. what we're trying to figure out right now is that this present situation of collective punishment and, in, and indiscriminate attack is is one approach, but we are seeing the the issues and the complications with that approach now. I'm just can we target them in terms of intelligence? Is there precision? Are what are the options available? Are an entire are, are entirely up to the administration and for for Israel to um, to examine and explore? As okay, so so this is very interesting because she. <laughs> She said a whole lot, a lot of nothing there, right? It's, it's obvious. She says, well, they need to be, they, they need to evaluate things in order to be more precise and such like that. So, so now she is the general, you understand, for Israel, no less. Uh, and she can't, I, I doubt she can even take care of her own taxes, let alone the military operations of a, of a foreign country. 
But she, she thinks that she's saying something absolutely brilliant here. That's for sure. We need to be precise and they need to be precise. And she's telling them exactly how to do it uh, or what not to do. And she thinks that everything Israel is doing now is indiscriminate. Are you kidding? This is way, way discriminate, meaning that they are very precise about this. This is the only country, literally the only country in the world that will drop leaflets on the area or the building that they intend to bomb well before the actual bombing so that people can evacuate the building, right? Which would include, of course, uh, some bad guys by definition. What, what other country does that? But I'm sure that's unacceptable to her. And that yet somehow this same country, uh, you know, drops indiscriminately a bomb on a hospital, right? Yeah, that, that makes sense, right? So it's so absurd, as if, as if Israel would, would not think about the PR ramifications of that. Look, uh, I said I was going to make one more comment, and I want to hear what you think, Devin. Um, when she talks about bringing us back to peace, what does that mean? Hey, look, I can tell you this, that Israel is fed up with the status quo, right? It's, I don't want to live with the status quo anymore. If you have a, a husband that is beating you senseless or a father that's beating you senseless all the time. And all you want to do is to stop the immediate fighting, meaning the, the immediate pummeling by the father or the husband, as the case may be. Uh, that's not acceptable. You would get a TRO, right? A temporary restraining order. And you might even lock up the guy. Okay. I, I, I don't like the status quo anymore. The wife or the children might say, that's the way it works. We're fed up. I'm saying this as an Israeli. I'm saying this as a Jew. I, I'm fed up. Israel is fed up. And it's not going to tolerate this anymore. So simply going back to the way it was before October 7 is unacceptable to Israel. Okay? Because all that will mean is that they, they'll just wait for the, another time where they can do something similar or even worse than what they did on October 7. And they'll only be emboldened because they'll know, okay, well, the worst that can happen is, you know, we'll be told to, to stop fighting. Uh, and then we'll agree to some sort of ceasefire. And then we'll just do it again, maybe six months later. Yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah. And like, she wants to act like she's so wise. She is elderly and I like that, but I don't think she's learned so much in all of her years on this earth. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, wow. you really care about Hamas. Why not listen to what they have to say? What do they want? They want the destruction of Israel. They want the murder of every Jew on the face of this earth. That's what they want. That's what they constantly say if you listen to them. And how do they want to accomplish it? How, how do they organize themselves? Oh, they hide under schools. They hide under hospitals. They hide behind women and children. Israel would be very easy to target just the military installations because it's just military there and they're not hiding behind children and women and innocent people. Hamas is. And what happens when you are more targeted and people are firing at you, but you want to make sure you have the perfect shot, you die. There's no way to calm tensions. There's no way to negotiate with a party that wants your destruction. Yes, those are the, uh, the, the wise words of Devin Goodman. And I, look, I agree with you. And the fact that we give a microphone to this idiot congresswoman is, is beyond me. But, you know, look, she's a darling child of the left. They somehow think that she's rising up the ranks. She's a bartender. She's an idiot. Uh, and not, not because she's a bartender. There are plenty of great people 
who were once bartenders and who've made fantastic uh, lives of, of their own, made a lot of money. Uh, for that matter, and for that matter, started their own companies. This is not one of them. <laughs> she is not one of them, right? She found herself pushed into this situation. Now she's opining uh, about things that she has no business opining about. She has no knowledge of the Middle East. She's got her friends, uh, Talib, and uh, what's her name? Omar, uh, Ilan Omar, and others uh, in the far left of the caucus and telling her what to think and what to say. And she just loves them so, ever so dearly because they're, the, they're just the best of girlfriends. And uh, so surely they must mean well. Uh, so th- th- she just says the same talking points that they tell her. To, you can tell yeah. she's being, she's being uh, puppeteered, as it were. Um, so that's what's happening on, in the United States and, of course, in, in, um, in Israel. In, in addition, we've got some serious problems. Iran is now telling... Uh, Israel, that if they are to proceed with a um, uh, a ground invasion, then that will be uh, the bridge too far, and they are going to do something more aggressive from Hezbollah in the north. Now, keep in mind, Hezbollah in the north, much more powerful than uh, than Hamas. Hamas is powerful, yes. Uh, we've seen what they could do, and they were backed by Iran, yes. Hezbollah, I don't know if we talked about this last week, Devin, but they are, uh, people don't know this, they are an incredibly strong army. And they have taken the training from the Israelis. They said, okay, you know, look, you know what? We want to be as effective as the Israelis, because after all, the Israelis are pound for pound uh, the best army in the world. So the Hezbollah very smartly said, you know what? Let's just figure out how they operate um, their rank and file, uh, what their culture is like to run a, a really effective army, and we'll just cut and paste. Yeah. That's it. And that's what they've been doing. So they are a fantastic army. I, sad to say they're a fantastic army. Uh, I would say that is Israel, among all the, as, as against all the um, terrorist organizations, Hezbollah is definitely the most daunting. And I, I think uh, from an army point of view, from a country point of view, Hezbollah is probably the most daunting. Uh, the Egyptian army was terrible. The Jordanian army was terrible. Iraq was a joke. My dad tells me of times when he was in battle with the Iraqis during the Six-Day War uh, where uh, he would find Iraqi soldiers chained to their posts so that they wouldn't run away. Oh. Yeah. In the old days, like the Russians, they would, they would have uh, soldiers behind the soldiers to shoot them if they ever came to... to I mean, this is how bad it, how bad it is. They... they the, the Arab armies are not famous for their high skills, but Hezbollah is very good. I, I hate to say it, but it's true. They are very, very effective. Uh, anyway, so they're going to start launching more and more attacks. They have a hell of a lot more missiles from the north. We'll see what Iran uh, chooses to do. It may be all bluff. I hope it's all bluff, uh, just designed to make sure to, you know, to maybe make Israel think about doing a ground war, but we'll see. Um, if that's the case, if Iran does get involved, then America has to get involved. If America has to get involved, then the Russians and the Chinese might have to get involved, which in turn might mean nuclear weapons in, involved. I doubt that last part, but uh, I, I think it, it leads to a conflagration, which could lead to a world war. Now, one more thing, speaking about other countries. If you are China, if you are Russia, we already know what Russia would do because they would invade Ukraine. They've already done it. 
okay, knowing what Biden is like. They, they were the ones who went, they were the first to dance, as it were, uh, as against their enemies during this very strange dance that's going on with Biden as president. He's fickle, he's feeble, uh, he, and he's feckless. All the Fs, okay? I, I wanted to use alliteration here, so thank you for indulging me. Um, anyway, if you're China and you have, you have it in you to really attack Taiwan, now's the time. Yeah. Now, now it is. Now, it may be that the, the only thing, let's put it this way, the only thing that is stopping China from invading Taiwan right now, because it's the perfect time, is Taiwan itself. Uh, the, the mountains of Taiwan, the fact that it's an island, it is actually very difficult to invade Taiwan. Okay? That's the reason why. That's the only reason why. It's not because they're worried about America. And now with America, with the fleet, it's part of the fleet, at least in the Middle East, uh, it's, it's all the more difficult for, for America to respond to anything that China might do. But this is the time for them to attack. I'm not encouraging them. I'm not calling for them to do so. I'm just saying, uh, looking at the enemy, that's what I, what I would be worried about now. So Biden has three things now on his watch that would not have happened under Trump. First, the Afghanistan pullout. Second, the Russia-Ukraine uh, war, of course. And now this, the Hamas war. Okay, none of these things would have happened. Iran, now Hamas may have done some sort of attack, but it wouldn't have been able to do the coordinated attack with Iran that it has. That's because we gave them money, or at least we unfroze money, making them think that they could actually do this. And, and that's exactly what happened. They, they saw a very feckless and very weak president. Boom, there they go. All right. All right, the... Uh, I've got a couple more things that we've got to talk about because it's so fascinating, but it has little to do with what we just talked about, Hamas. So I'm changing gears here a little bit. Californians, get this, are complaining about barely clothed prostitutes roaming the streets in broad daylight, an issue heightened by Democrat Governor Newsom signing Senator, Senate Bill 357. Uh, that bill, which was authored by Democrat State Senator Scott Weiner, uh, and backed by the ACLU, decriminalizes, quote, loitering with intent to commit prostitution, unquote. Critics say the law effectively decriminalizes prostitution in California. Yeah, you don't say. Prostitutes are now apparently, quote, wearing less than what you would consider a scanty negligee, unquote, and, quote, flaunting it in everyone's face, unquote. Morrison showed the outlet pictures that he claimed show sex workers walking near Integrity Charter School where parents drop their kids off. Anyway, there's a massive increase in prostitution. Okay, so it's a surprise. You decriminalize something, you get more of it. What I, I wouldn't have expected, I, I certainly would have expected greater prostitution. What I would not have expected, would not have predicted, is that they're just wearing less and less clothing. They're just barely wearing anything. Right? So it's, it's I, I suppose if you wore a G-string, uh, in, in public, right? I mean, technically speaking, you're not naked, but you might as well be, right? And, and, and women do wear pretty scantily, uh, scant clothing uh, on beaches. So why not let them roam around? I mean, is, is there a law against that? No, the answer is no. And apparently there's no law against prostitution, nor where you would do it. I mean, I, why they do it in front of a school, that's a mystery to me. Maybe they think that's where the fathers who are not getting, you know, enough uh, sex from their wives are. I mean, what's, I don't know what they're thinking is, but you tell me. 
Yeah, and I, I think that they're kind of using the wrong words because these women on the street are not saying, hmm, should I go to grad school and study English or should I go to Europe or should I walk with no clothing on the street? These women are hostages. These women are forced into it. These women do not have the ability or 99% of them to give consent to what's going on. They're not collecting the money. They're not profiting from this. And for all the people who say, oh, we're against slavery, um, well, you just le- have a bill that legalized it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, if you, if you outlaw, sorry, if you, if you decriminalize the sex trade, right, sex trafficking and drug use and such like that, you're going to get more of it. And then they're ever so surprised. It's, it's really fascinating to me how people think that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of atheists and, and they, they say that, you know, people will observe the law, they, they will do the right thing all the time because of the, they'll use the logic and reasoning. Yeah, okay, I get it when you're talking about murder. Uh, well, only murder, maybe, maybe, because it's, it's what I call the great Mexican standoff theory. They think that you, you don't want to kill anybody because you don't want to be killed yourself. You see? That, that's the reciprocity in their heads. So, you know, they, they like the golden rule. That's what they think they're um, enunciating the golden rule, but they're not really. So how do you, how do you deal with sex trafficking? Right? I mean, it, it's, if it's, if it doesn't matter, oh, okay, forget about sex trafficking because that's obviously involuntary, right? The kid doesn't want to be trafficked. But what about if a kid, a 14-year-old kid, wants to have sex with a 26-year-old man, right? I mean, technically it's voluntary. So what's wrong with that? Hey, what's wrong? But it's wrong, right? So how do you, how do you define that? How do you logic your way into that one? And the same thing with prostitution. Is that a good thing? The women want to make money selling their bodies, right? That's a voluntary exchange of a good, as it were, in this case, their bodies. So what, what does the atheist stand on that? That's obviously a bad thing. You and I know that's a bad thing. Same thing with the drug situation. So I, I think it's very interesting. Um, and it's, it's absurd, but there you have it. This is what happens in a society where you don't respect uh, basic morality and don't understand where morality really comes from. Okay, so this is from Fox News. Uh, Progressive Philadelphia, and it's somewhat related, I suppose. Progressive Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. This is the city where looting has gone running amok, right? Uh, Who has been accused of being soft on crime assured workers, uh, sorry, assured reporters in recent days that he will investigate the people involved in that widespread looting of the city in a, quote, even-handed way, unquote. Okay. Krasner, who was impeached by Pennsylvanian Republicans last year for policies they alleged exacerbated crime in the city, claimed that he will weigh whether those lives, those arrested in connection to the looting, have been, quote, fundamentally law-abiding people, unquote, throughout their lives, despite their antics over that particular sorry weekend. <laughs> uh, so check this out, because I, I want you to hear uh, how his logic uh, plays out, Okay. 
I don't let any judge disturb the peace of this city. The DA calls it individual justice and says everyone involved in the looting will be looked at on a case-by-case basis. We'll look carefully to see whether this is a one-off situation and they're fundamentally law-abiding people, hold them accountable one way, or whether they are criminals and they're all about taking advantage. Okay, so let me get this straight. So why not apply this to everything else, okay? So a pedophile who has, you know, a one-off situation, at least for what for getting caught of it, uh, where he's with that 14-year-old boy, you gave it as an example, hypothetical. Um, and then, you know, he's a fundamentally good guy. You know, it's, it's cool. He's not really a criminal. Such a word, criminal. Um, and likewise with the murderer. Why, why not just, you know, he, he only did one murder. Come on. I mean, who hasn't murdered somebody in their lives, right? I mean... Right. So, look, with that, that rubric, you know, you could say Charles Manson. He, he, he was not. He was a fundamentally good citizen. He only killed a handful of people. And, in fact, he didn't even do it himself. He had other people do it for him. So what's wrong with that? So this is the slippery slope that the Democrats are more than happy to toboggan down. Okay? That's what they do. So now I want to tell you the most dangerous story, and it's somewhat related the most dangerous story of the day. You don't know where I'm going to go with this, do you? No. Oh, okay. This is a story about free will. Okay. A Stanford professor has determined, and he's written a book about this, that there is no such thing as free will. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah, it's like true. some. Some other power is controlling all of it? Some, some other power is there, I some guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just telling you. What you thought was free will is not. It's, it's an illusion. Anyway, here's the article. It's from the Los Angeles Times. Stanford scientist, after decades of study, concludes, we don't have free will. And then the subtitle is, you may think you chose to read this, but Stanford scientist Robert Sapolsky would disagree. He says virtually all human behavior is beyond our conscious control. Okay, so this is actually not a new argument. Okay, this is the same argument that I've heard literally for decades, that life is much more complex than you think it is, and while you perceive yourself to be having free will, uh, and he uses the example of picking up a pen, which I think is a fairly boring example, but you're, you're picking up the pen because of a whole bunch of reasons. And, and then he gives another example, seeing a movie and three different people might have three different reactions. Why? Because of everything that led them up to that moment and the way they interpret that movie. Uh, one might be defensive about it. One might be, you know, supportive of it. One might, whatever. Everything is determined. And that's the opposite of free will, right? Determinism. Everything is determined. Think of it like... Uh, you know, it, it, the, the dominoes, you know, in the, the thing, it, it, you, you, one thing falls after the other. It's all very mechanical. Thank you very much. Your illusion of free will is just that, an illusion. Okay, so two very simple responses to this. Why would it be an illusion? Why, why is it important for us to think that we have free will, if that's the case, if there's no free will? So why is it necessary? If we don't have free will... Why fool us into thinking that we have free will? Why are we embedded with this idea of free will? Is it just socialized? 
I don't think anyone thinks it's socialized. I think it's an, it's instinctive that we have free will, that we are the master of our own decisions. And we, and, and okay, that, so that's, that's number one. Number one is why even have that in the first place. Secondly, how do you, how do you juxtapose this with consciousness? We all recognize the concept of consciousness. Consciousness is the idea, it's the me in me, right? It's I'm aware of my own existence, as you are, Devin, of yours. Um, I, I can't be in your brain knowing, only you know what, what Devin is thinking. Okay, and, and God forbid that anyone ever, ever travels inside that brain, because I, I, I frankly, I would be terrified to, to figure that out. But that's another story, it's another story. <laughs> uh, so why, why do we have that? He, he never plays into that. This, now, he's written a book. Maybe it's in the book somehow. But the, the concept of the interplay between consciousness and free will. Why do we even have consciousness? If, and if there is no free will, then we don't have consciousness. But we do have consciousness, right? Nothing makes sense about this. But why, why is he hell-bent on, that's, I'm always interested in knowing why people are interested in the things that they are. He wrote a book about this, okay? and he's not the first. Many people have written this concept. But, but he's written a book about it. He really wants to make it clear, you ain't got no free will, and you're a fool. It may make you feel good, but you don't have true agency. That's it. You're, you're done. So, so, and, and he says in the book, that it would be, it's wonderful, it'll be a far more just world. Greater things will happen if we abandon this primitive notion of free will, right? They, they abandon it. And then, to which you and I say, wait, 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 <laughs> hold on. It's going to be a more just world? So, and, and he even brings up the example that a, a person who drives drunk under the influence should be treated as somebody who has, who happened to have a heart attack while driving and you wouldn't, and, and he crashes and he maybe even kills somebody. Right. You wouldn't hold him accountable, right? The heart attack guy, right. especially if you've never had a heart attack situation, right? He, he has no idea that he's about to have a heart attack. Boom, he has a heart attack. It's his first one. And tragically, he kills somebody. Should he go to jail for that? Answer is no. But the drunk driver... He does the exact same thing. He kills somebody exactly the same way. He goes to jail. Now, that's crazy, according to this brilliant professor. That should not be the case. They're both the same. They, know, they don't have free will. So don't send this drunk driver to jail. But, but why stop there? If I, if I kill my friend Devin, and believe me, I'm thinking about it, uh, and, and, and I should, right? Who here listening is not thinking about killing Devin Goodman right now, right? It's our free will that keeps us in check from killing Devin Goodman. Uh, anyway, so if I, if I kill you now, do I get to say to the cops who come to investigate? Well, you know, the thing is, I don't have free will. So, I, you know, this, this nice Stanford professor, he's, I, how, would he, how would he relate to that? Right? How, how do you deal with somebody or murder somebody or rape somebody. I, I literally heard a, a case, uh, a Muslim man who molested, and it was a terrible story, in a Turkish bath of some kind. 
And his defense was, it was a sexual emergency. So he was really horny, essentially. And he saw this boy and he just couldn't help himself. Okay? It's, it's horrific, right? No free will, according to him, this, this man. And he thought that that would fly. Now, fortunately, it didn't, and he was arrested. A terrible story. But, but what's to stop? I mean, that's, what they're, that's where they're going with pedophilia, for one thing. Is that they want to make it say, well, he's a minor attractive person. So they're already changing the language, for one thing. But they'll say, well, that's, that's what floats his boat. That's what he's attracted to. That's the way his nature made him. Right? Like you might be interested in, in a big fat woman. I don't know. Uh, well, he's, he, oh, he's, Devin's giving me this look like, tell me more. <laughs> no, I don't have a big fat woman for you. It's just a hypothetical, Devin. Damn. Uh, anyway, so, and other people might like skinnier women, whatever, tall, short, um, black and white for that matter. It, it, it's just what you're attracted to, but you don't have any free will associated with it. And likewise, the minor attractive person doesn't have that f- sort of free will. Uh, likewise, with uh, theft, for that matter, you, you, you just have no choice. You're a kleptomaniac. You just have to steal. And um, this is a wise person, just like our wonderful Harvard person. But who else says that you have no control, and by accepting your lack of control, everything's going to be a utopian society? Pol Pot, Stalin, Lenin, every terrorist that takes over a plane in a movie. Like, it is a weird, like, this has been said before by people who have histories and kind of CVs of what they've gone to, and it never turns out well. Totalitarianism, authoritarianism, um, communism, fascism, no free will. Democracy, free will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, no, free will is the enemy of the state and people who love the state will like to get rid of free will. And, and by the way, this, this will be the end of you because, uh, if you don't see yourself as somebody who has free will, you think the government will, they'll be happy to tell you what you need to do. And then you'll lose free will really big time, very quickly. Anyway, they couldn't be more excited about this concept because this means they don't need to be accountable. That's ultimately what it is. And and so why not open up the prisons? No more arrests. You won't need any cops, right? You can defund the cops that way for that reason. Free will is a myth. And the sooner we accept that, the more our society will be. That's not me saying it. That last part, that was the author. The more free, the more just our society will be. In what way? What planet could you possibly believe that? Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm befuddled, my friend. I'm befuddled. That's the word I wanted to use today. Befuddled. Uh, going back to what happened in Hamas, uh, with the, the Hamas war and the Israel conflict and uh, everything that's going on, and the way, more importantly, the world is reacting, because Israel is the only country that garners this kind of attention. There is... A terrorism that has to be dealt with vis-a-vis. Uh, so there's, there's two kinds of refugees that are being dealt with in the, U, the UN. I don't know if you know this. There's refugees of the Palestinians, and there's a whole department for them. Yeah, there's a whole department just for the Palestinian, quote-unquote, refugees. They're not refugees, but you get the idea. Uh, and, and, you know, for decades already. And then there are refugees for the rest of the world, 
right? There's so two different groups altogether. The question is, why is it that everyone is so obsessed about Israel and has such strong opinions and is um, so ready to jump and believe and make all these assumptions and say these phrases and have uh, protests throughout all the world? Why is it that Israel garners this sort of reaction? Even the Ukraine doesn't garner that sort of reaction. We didn't have these kind of protests and these accusations and let's prove who bombed the hospital and things like that. It, it, it just doesn't really exist the same way. The question is why? Because Israel stands as the beacon of God. That's what it is. It is the very birthplace of Judaism, Christianity, the concept of monotheism, generally speaking, the Ten Commandments, this is the place that, in their minds, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of good and evil, um, needs to be destroyed. And anything that can chip away at Israel's goodness, at the concept of it being holy, so much the better. They are happy to attack. It's, it's not even, I'm not even talking about the Muslims anymore. I'm talking about the average anti-Israel schmuck on the street here in America, in Australia, in England, Germany, you name it, there are plenty of them. And they are eager to see Israel destroyed, even though they know how vicious uh, Islamic terrorism can be. Even though, and they saw what happened in 9-11. It is more important to them to destroy Israel than it is to be safe at home. Fascinating. That's what they're willing to do. It reminds me of one of my dad's cartoons from a long time ago uh, where, you know, a, a, a guy is in a boat um, and with, with sharing it with somebody else, just a, a small dinghy boat, and he's, you know, sawing the boat in half, uh, <laughs> saying, well, this will teach you, <laughs> right? I'm like, well, obviously the guy's going to go down too, the, the guy who's sawing the boat. And that's the way I think it is with so many of these anti-Israel folk. They have no idea how they're, they're just sowing the, the, the seeds of their own destruction. Sad. All right, folks. Devin, thank you so much for being our co-host yeah. co today again, as, as usual. In the meantime, let's, uh, let's pray for Israel. Let's, uh, let's watch the news. Let's do what we can to support her. Give money to Israel, please. Uh, we need a lot of bulletproof vests in particular. Uh, they did not expect uh, this amount of reserves needed to be called up. Israel will be fine, but please, we need your support. Pray for Israel. Be, be there for Israel. All right, folks, I'm Brock Lurie signing off saying God bless, and we'll talk with you next week.